All right, we're going to get started here tonight. How many of you had a good day today? Who had a bad day today? Who had just an okay day today? Okay, two or three okays, mostly good days. That's, that's good. Good to see everybody back tonight. Let's start with prayer. Father, we just thank you, uh, love you tonight. Thank you for your help in every area of our life. Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, as we endeavor, Lord, to talk about marriage tonight and uh, how to improve our marriages, Father, I just pray that you will help us. God, help us to receive uh, the information tonight and help us not only receive it, but do something with it. Father, uh, in the name of Jesus, we ask, amen. Well, tonight we're going to begin with a little uh, review from the first lesson uh, that that we had and uh, uh the more you hear something, the more likely you are to really hear it. Um, hopefully do something with the information. And uh, then there's some here, I think, tonight that were not here at the uh, first uh, lesson, so it'll get everybody on the same page. So we began uh, by talking about 10 observations or 10 statements about marriage. Uh, we talked about five things that marriage is not, and we talked about five things that marriage is. So let me remind you of those 10 things, uh, and then we'll get started tonight. First of all, we said marriage is not a cure for, for unhappiness. Marriage is not a cure for unhappiness. If you are unhappy and you think that marriage is somehow ma- going to magically make you happy, you are mistaken. It's not a magic uh, pill that you swallow uh, Uh, Happiness is a choice, right? Happiness is a choice. So is unhappiness. Uh, Here's what I've discovered, and that is unhappy people tend to be unhappy. Regardless of the circumstances, the relationships, the situations, unhappy people just tend to be unhappy. That being said, if you are engaged to someone who is constantly unhappy, uh, my advice to you is disengage. All right, second thing we said, and that is marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. And Some people think marriage is a 50-50 proposition. No, a happy, successful marriage takes two people giving 100%. Let me tell you what a what a 50-50 marriage is. A 50-50 marriage will end in divorce. It's not 50-50. Not half and half. It's 100-100. Number three, marriage is not perfection. There are no perfect marriages. Zero, zelch, nada. Doesn't exist. Two imperfect people coming together do not make one perfect impossible. Number four, marriage is not what you thought it would be. I don't know what you thought it would be, but whatever you thought it was or would be, it's not. Uh, It's not what the storybook describes it, so do not have unrealistic expectations. Number five, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Marriage is not impossible. Difficult, yes, at times, Trying, stressful at times, 
but a happy, successful marriage is not impossible. All right, then let's talk about the five things marriage is. First of all, it's a partnership. Marriage is a partnership. Genesis 2 and 18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper or partner for him. Verse 24 says, the two are united into one. Never use the terms you and me. It should always be us and we. Number two, marriage is a commitment. Another word we could use is a contract. You enter into a contract. means it is binding for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. Keep yourself only unto him or her as long as you both shall live. And let me tell you that there might, I'm not saying there will, but there might come a time when all you have is your commitment. The feelings are not there, the ooey-gooey, the goosebumps, the new. There might come a time in your marriage when all you have is your commitment to the marriage. But you have your commitment, and you made a commitment. You said for better, for worse. You said for richer, for poor. You said in sickness and in health. You said till death do us part. You made that covenant. You made that commitment. You made that contract before God. There might come a time when that's all you have. That doesn't mean that's going to be that way for the rest of the marriage. But for a time, it might be all you have. But listen, if no, it's all you have, it should be enough if your word means anything. Again, not forever, but for that rough patch. That's the problem is a lot of people bail out in the rough patch. Everybody hits a rough patch. Let me just see a hand, your hands in here if your marriage ever hit a rough patch. Almost every hand in here. rest of you are lying. Amen. <laughs> just kidding. Trying to keep you awake, okay? Come on. All right. What is marriage? Number three, marriage is work. You spell marriage W-O-R-K. It's work. Marriage isn't easy, but it's worth it. Say it's worth it. Remember the effort you put into getting your mate? You should invest the same amount of effort to keep your mate. Number four, marriage is complicated. Complicated. Two complete opposites come together. Men and women are polar opposites in every way. They look different. And all the guys said, praise the Lord. They think different. They react different. Have different needs. Have different desires. Place these two opposites together. Two things happen. Number one, things become complicated. Number two, they make a great team. Complicated, yes, but they make a great team. When the two become one, the problem is, when the two become one, the problem is, which one? (laughs) And the answer, neither. The two become a new one. 
the two individuals become a new one, a new and improved one, a more balanced one. Because this team now has his logic and her intuition. And that makes a pretty good team. Number five, marriage is an adjustment. An adjustment. Before marriage, it was my money. Before marriage, it was what do I want? Where do I want to go? What do I want to eat? What do I want to do with my time? After marriage, it is no longer about me, but about we. And let me say this. Your greatest possibility for a happy, fulfilling marriage is to make the marriage you are in right now work. There are exceptions to that. I don't have time to, you know, say everything I'm talking about. There are exceptions to that, but I don't even know what that percentage would be, but a a huge percentage, the greater percentage, your greatest possibility for a happy, fulfilling marriage is to make the marriage you are in right now work. If you divorce and blend families and now you've got new in-laws and new outlaws, and you got history, and you got baggage, and you got all this stuff. It'll only add to your frustration, only increase conflict and problems. So work things out with a mate you have, if at all possible. And I understand there are exceptions, but those exceptions are not 50% as divorce percentages say. It's not. Work things out with the mate you have, if at all possible. Remember why you chose them in the first place. And remember you did choose them. And you did make a commitment to them. You did sign a contract. Now, abuse does not apply. I have zero tolerance for abuse. They're abusive, and I don't mean just that they got mad at you and yelled at you one time. I mean if they are abusive, it's over. That's out of the book of Mike. Look it up. The next thing we talked about last week was about the number one need of a husband and the number one need of a wife. Now, now, both husbands and wives have several basic needs, and we're going to talk about it. It's one of my favorite lessons, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. The, the basic needs of a man, the basic needs of a, of a woman, and, 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 they, and they are worlds apart. And we need to understand what they are, and we'll talk about that. And they're, like I said, they're worlds apart. They're different. In husbands and wives, because men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And they're polar opposites. The problem is the husband thinks that the way to meet his wife's needs is to do for her what he wants done for him. But that's his need, it's not her need. And vice versa. And that's where the problem comes in. And they're frustrated when their mate doesn't respond in a positive way. Well, I'm, you know, I'm giving them what, I, what they need. No, you're giving them what you need. 
But what you need is not what they need, and what they need is not what you need. And that's why you need to know what her needs is. That's why you need to know what his needs are. And then you need to meet those needs. And we'll talk about that. But tonight, we're going to talk about the number one need. There are many needs, but we're going to talk about the number one need for the wife and the number one need for the husband. All right? For wives, are there exceptions? Yes, there are exceptions to every rule. But by and large, 80, 90% for wives, their number one need is love. Their number one need is love. Their number one need is to be loved. For a husband, his number one need is not love. Does he need to be loved? Absolutely, but it's not his number one need. His number one need is respect. Respect. Since wives' number one need is love, they give love to their husbands thinking this is what will meet his need. Since respect is a husband's number one need, he gives respect to his wife thinking he's meeting her need. Nobody's meeting anybody's need. Therefore, both husband and wife have unmet needs and both are frustrated with the other. To ensure a happy and fulfilling marriage, a husband must offer unconditional love. Say unconditional. A husband must offer unconditional love to his wife, and a wife must offer unconditional respect to her husband. A husband must tell his wife that he loves her, and he must prove it through his actions. What did they say? Actions do what? Speak louder than words. A wife must tell her husband that she is proud of him. Tell him he's doing a good job. Uh, at being a good husband and a father and a provider. She must constantly affirm him. She must be his number one cheerleader. She must treat him with respect. She cannot criticize him or belittle him or compare him. But pastor, what if my wife doesn't act very loving? What if my husband isn't worthy of respect? Offer it unconditionally. Say unconditionally. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because the Bible tells you to do it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wife. Ephesians 5 and 33, wives, respect your husband. Respect is a man's deepest value. In a national survey, 74% of men said they would rather be left all alone and unloved in the world rather than made to feel inadequate and disrespected. Respect is the key to motivating a husband. Given a choice between being loved or being respected, men will choose respect over love nearly every time. Men often have affairs with women 
and you look at the wife, and then you look at the lover, and you go, huh? She's a, you know, his wife's a 10. She's a hottie. Here, this guy, this is plain Jane over here. Huh? What? Men often have affairs with women who are not nearly as attractive as their wives are. Why? Because the other woman makes him feel special. She laughs at his jokes. She strokes his ego. She shows him respect. She affirms him. Women sometimes have affairs not because of the other man's looks or money or position. And you look at that and you say, what? Huh? What? Why? What? But women sometimes have affairs not because of the other man's looks, money, or position, but because he offers her unconditional love. He makes her feel loved, makes her feel cherished. She gets ignored and taken for granted by her husband, but the other man tells her he loves her and demonstrates it by his actions. Spouses say, well, if he would love me, I would respect him. If she would respect me, I would love her. They say, I can't love her. I can't respect him, but I ask, is it I can't or I won't? Because it's a choice. It's a choice. Luke 6 and 38 says, give and it shall be given. Think of it this way. His love motivates her respect. And her respect motivates his love. Well, you might say, Pastor, how do, I sh- how do I show love to my wife? How do I show respect to my husband? Well, let me address uh, the men first. With the word couple, I'm going to make an acrostic. C-O-U-P-L-E. It's in your notes. So we're, at, we're in our notes now. And I'm going to explain how to love your wife. Now, this information comes from the book Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerichs. So for the letter C in our acrostic of the word couple, he uses the word closeness. Closeness. How how do I love my wife? Through closeness. Fellas, your wife wants you to come close to her. She wants to feel close to you, connected to you, involved with you, partnered with you, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. She wants you to touch her. Not just sex. She needs some non-sexual touches. She don't want to feel just like some sex object. She needs you to touch her, not just so it'll move to sex. She needs non-sexual touches. She wants you to hold her hand. She wants you to hug her, not fondle her, hug her, okay? Hey, we're all adults in this room, okay? I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you how it is. 
She wants you to spend time with her. She wants to be included. She wants to feel that she's a valuable part of your life. In Genesis 2 and 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Say cleave. This word cleave in the Hebrew, because I'm so smart and so deep, and, and it said it in the book. <laughs> this word cleave in Hebrew means to cling. It means to hold. It means to keep close. Think about this. Did you know that in all of God's creation, only humans are intimate Face to face. Think about that. Think about that. In all of God's creation, only humans are intimate face to face. But cleaving is much, much more than sexual. Cleaving also means spiritual and emotional closeness. Wives feel cheap and used when their husbands only get close to them when they want sex. Wives have a need to feel close to their husbands, to be included in his everyday life. Men sometimes feel threatened or even untrusted when their wives want to know details of where they've been, who they've been with, and what they did with their day. But for the most part, for the most part... (laughs) The wife does does her interrogation not because she doesn't trust her husband unless he gives her reason not to trust. But for the most part, the wife does her interrogation not because she doesn't trust her husband, but because she has a need to be included in his everyday life. She wants to feel close to him. She doesn't feel close to him if she isn't included and informed. And she finds out things from her husband's best friend or whatever, you know, whoever. Wives need some undivided attention from their husbands. She needs him to turn the TV off, put his cell phone down, Look at her, give her his undivided attention. How am I doing, ladies? Am I doing okay? Okay. Don't worry, fellas. We'll we'll flip-flop this a little later on. For the letter O in our acrostic of the word couple, Dr. Egerich uses the word openness. Openness. Trying to teach you men how to love your wife. Openness. Your wife won't feel loved unless you're willing to open up to her. And here's where a major problem arises. Because women want to talk about everything. And men want to talk about nothing. In fact, by the time most men make it home, they've already used up all their words. Because it's a documented fact that women 
use a lot more words than men do, and men get them used up. So that's why you might want to get him early in the morning before he runs out of words. And I'm not really teasing. Women are complex. Men are basically simple. Simple. Men, men, we're simple. I'm sorry, we are. We're simple. We're uncomplicated. Give a man good food, good sex, and some free time to play with his big boy toys, and most men are usually pretty happy. Am I right? Ain't hard to make a man happy. Ain't hard at all. Women, on the other hand, are much more complicated. Men tend to see things uh, mostly black and white. It's yes or no. It's this or that. It's black or white. Women see everything in detailed and vivid colors. I mean... Women don't, can't even, they won't even just tell you if it's pink. They'll tell you whether, you know, that pink is mauve or, give me a couple other shades of pink. What are they? Huh? I can't even say it. Men are only interested in the facts. Women want all the gory details. What? When? Where? Why? How? Wives want to know what their husbands are thinking. They want to know what their husbands are feeling. Let me help you ladies. Not much. I feel sorry for men in church because, you know, because, you know, the women are there and they're crying and they're weeping and the men just standing there. And everybody say, well, he ain't very spiritual. Spirituality has nothing to do with feelings. Nothing to do with whether tears roll or don't turn. Spirituality is, you know, do you show up? You know, do you live the word? Do you give? Do you, these are, you know, these are marks of spirituality, not do you cry. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing. I'm just saying it's a, there's a difference there. Difference there. Husbands, you truly love your wives when you open up to them and let them in to your deepest feelings, if you have any. <laughs> if you're not willing to open up to your wife, she feels like she's shut out from your life. That you don't value her enough to include her and confide in her. And this makes her feel unloved. When you open up to her and confide in her your deepest feelings, this makes her feel loved by you. Fellows, you might have to make up some feelings. <laughs> For the letter U in this word couple, the word is understanding. Husbands show love to their wives by trying to understand them. <laughs> trying to understand them. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 said, Hus says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
Here's where another problem arises. Wives go to their husbands with their problems. Men are natural problem solvers. Men fix things. I'm a fix-it-yourself man. Something breaks, I say fix it yourself. Men are natural problem solvers. They they fix things. So when a man's wife pours out her heart to him, he goes into the fix-it mode and tries to fix or solve her problem. She doesn't want you, Bubba. She doesn't want you to fix her situation. She doesn't want you to solve her problem. She already knows what she's going to do. She just wants you to listen to her. And sympathize with her. And understand her. She needs someone safe to talk to. Someone safe to vent to. Not someone to solve her problem. Someone who won't judge her or condemn her for her feelings. Someone who won't interrupt her or immediately, again, try and solve her problem. Someone who will pay attention to her and focus on her and remain engaged in the conversation. And fellas, let me give you a little help here. Grunts and groans do not count as words. For the letter P. Husbands, if you really want your wife to feel loved, which is her greatest need, learn how to become a peacemaker. So for the letter P is peacemaking. Learn how to become a peacemaker. Here's what we need to understand. Conflict in marriage is normal. Just because you have conflict in marriage doesn't mean you have, there's, you know, you've got a troubled marriage. Conflict in marriage is normal, and, and especially early on. Every marriage has conflict. If there's no conflict, there's no marriage. If there's no conflict, that means you have given up, you've thrown in the towel. And both have returned to their corners and neither will answer the bell for the next round. There are marriages, and I'm finding out, there are many marriages where the couple remain married in theory. And I will tell you, just because of the size, and I don't know specifics, but just in the size of this church, there are, there are people that are married in theory in our church. There are marriages where the couple remain married in theory. They still live in the same house, but no longer sleep in the same bed, no longer occupy the same bedroom, or they still sleep together but never touch. He lives his life, she lives her life. They stay together for convenience or they stay together for financial reasons. And there's a whole lot more of that than you would think. 
They put up a good front. It looks okay on the outside. They know how to play the game. They know how to put on the game face. They know how to make it look a certain way. It looks okay on the outside, but behind closed doors, there's no marriage. Conflict is not a sign that you have a bad marriage. Every marriage has conflict. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, that conflict will accompany marriage. You can't put two very different people together for very long without there being conflict. Whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's partners, work, you can't put two very different people together for very long without there being conflict. When Mr. Clean marries Miss Messy, there will be conflict. When the extrovert marries the introvert, there will be conflict. When he is used to leaving the toilet seat up and she is used to leaving it down, there will be conflict. Conflict is just a natural part of life. Where there's more than one person involved, eventually there will be conflict. Conflict just means something's still alive. Conflict just means that something is normal. Now, too much conflict is not good. That's not a good sign when that's all there is is conflict. Not saying that. Too much conflict is not good. Unresolved conflict can lead to bigger issues. Ignoring a bad situation won't make it go away. It will eventually cause greater problems because if the situation is unresolved, it's not going to go away. It's going to fester. It's going to grow. And what started out as a small problem grows into a giant. Both husbands and wives must learn how to become peacemakers. They must both learn how to say, I'm sorry. Now, because men and women are made up differently, again, there's exceptions to every rule. But men have a harder time saying, I'm sorry, usually. Men usually have a harder time. Why? Well, when a woman says, I'm sorry, to her, it's an increase of love. When a man says, I'm sorry, he fears that he loses a little bit of respect. Because if he says he's sorry, that makes him feel like because he admits to being wrong, this means he failed. And because he failed, this failure makes him feel like less of a man because men are wired to succeed. To be competitive. To win. And whether he realizes it or not, the husband thinks that saying I'm sorry and admitting he's wrong, to him, it seems for him it'll make him look to himself. It'll make him look like less of a man in the eyes of his wife because men are to be tough and men are to be winners and men are to be strong. And he's admitting he's wrong when he says, I'm sorry. 
The truth is, it takes a really big, confident, secure man to say, I'm sorry, and especially to admit that he was wrong. Remember Happy Days? How many of you ever seen Happy Days? Remember Happy Days? Remember Fonzie? Fonzie? Huh? Yeah, Fonzie, you know. I mean, he'd look in the mirror and try to make himself look better, and, you know, he's, he's, he's 10. He kept, hey, you know. But remember, he couldn't admit he was wrong, could he? He could not admit, and he would try, but he couldn't. He couldn't get it out. I would, he couldn't, get it, he couldn't get the word out. I wasn't quite right, he'd say. Truth of the matter is, a husband elevates himself in the eyes of his wife when he chooses to take the high road and apologize to her. No matter who is at fault. And usually there's enough blame to share. There's usually three sides to every story. You say, Pastor, I thought there were two sides to every story. No, there's three sides. There are three sides to every story. There's your side, there's my side, and then there's the true side. There's the way you see it, there's the way I see it, and then there's the way it really is. Because here's what I've discovered, and that is everyone, say everyone. Everyone slants things in their direction. tilt it just a little bit towards themselves. Amen? Oh, me? Let me give you a short course on peacemaking. First of all, how you say something is more important than what you say. How you say something more important than what you say. My father just passed away, just had this uh, memorial service last Thursday. My brother lives with my mom and with my mom and dad then and now with my mom now. And after my dad died, one day my mom said to me, said, she said to me, she said, uh, my brother's name is Dennis. She said, Dennis is going to try and boss me. He's going to try and boss me. And my mom said, I had a boss for 70 years. <laughs> she had married to my dad for 70 years. She said, I had a boss for 70 years, and Dennis is not my husband. He's not my boss. He's going to try and boss me. So I'm the middleman. So the next day, I tell my brother, I said, mom, mom said, you're going to try and boss her. He said, what? She said, you're going to try and boss her, and she don't want a boss. So I said, let me just give you something to think about. I said, instead, from now on, instead of saying, like, uh, I think we ought to do this, or I think we ought to do that, or I think we ought to do something else, I said, Ma, I said, I said why don't you say, learn this phrase, learn this phrase. Mom, what would you think about? Mom, what would you think about doing this? Mom, what would you think about doing that? Mom, what would you think about? Just anytime you think something, just start it with, Mom, what would you think about? Because most of the time, mom will say, well, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. But if you say, mom, I think we ought to, then you ain't my boss. How you say something is more important than what you say. The words you choose to use. 
your tone of voice. One of my favorite sayings is, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Your tone of voice. Your body language. And, 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 and never say, never say, if I did such and such, or if I hurt you, don't use the word if, that, that's lame. Come clean, own your mistakes. Say, honey, I'm truly sorry. I know that when I said or did such and such, and then describe it, I know that hurt you. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Not if I hurt your feelings. You know you hurt her feelings. Don't use the word if. Own it. And if you want to put it on the very top shelf, tell her, Honey, I understand how you must have felt when I said or I did or I acted or whatever. And hey, listen, even if you are innocent, if she thinks you're guilty, in her heart you are. I mean, no perception is reality. Perception is reality to that person. So if she thinks you're guilty, even if you're not, if she thinks you're wrong, even if you're not, in her heart you are. So why not take the high road and be the peacemaker? She will respect you for it. She will what? She will what? What do you need, fellas? Do you want respect? Do you want respect? Earn it. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's supposed to give it to you unconditionally. Yeah, 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 I understand that. I said that. I teach that. Yes. But if you really want respect, earn it. You'll get some freebies along the way, but if you're really going to have it, you're going to have to earn it. She will respect you for it, and, and that is your greatest need. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, a gentle, loving answer turns away wrath. My daddy used to always say, you know, when me and my brother, who's a year older than me, and you talk about sibling rivalry, we had it, man. We had it. You talk about competitive, we were competitive. And we fought like cats and dogs. And, And my dad would always say, it takes two to argue, it takes two to fight. But daddy, he said, but that, yeah, but she responded. Takes two to argue, takes two to fight. Pretty hard to fight all by yourself. Have you ever noticed that? No, you hadn't because you didn't even give it a try. (laughs) It's pretty impossible to to carry on an argument all by yourself. Hard to keep a fight going all by yourself. A gentle, loving answer turns away wrath. Usually when one mate says, I'm sorry, and takes ownership of the situation, the other mate says, well, it wasn't all your fault. Well, for five, five minutes earlier, they were screaming at you, it's all your fault. But the moment that you take ownership of it, it diffuses the bomb, and all of a sudden they say, well, it wasn't all you. Well, 
Once one takes ownership of the situation and apologizes and takes the blame, usually the other may quickly follow suit. All right, now let me be clear here. Your motive should never be to admit your wrong so she will admit her wrong. Your motive is to be a peacemaker. And here's some good advice. Again, this comes from my father who always told the groom right before he uh, walked down the, walked out, he always gave this advice, you can be right or you can be happy. You can be right, or you can be happy. If you always demand to be right, and you're right to be acknowledged as right, you probably won't enjoy a lot of happiness in your marriage. You can be right, or you can be happy. All right, we're going to stop right here. I'm not totally finished, but next week we're going to conclude our acrostic of, of the word couple as we discover how a man should love his wife. And then we're going to talk about how a wife can learn how to show respect to her husband. And some of these things are good for both, okay? So here's your homework assignment for the week. Are you ready? Are you ready? Write it down. Here's your homework. Husbands. Love your wives. Demonstrate your love through your actions. Love them unconditionally. Take the high road. Take the, take the lead. Lead your marriage to a higher level. Wives, here's your homework. Respect your husbands. Respect them. Stroke their ego. Brag on them. Be their number one cheerleader. Respect them with unconditional respect. And here's what I believe you will see as a result. If husbands will offer unconditional love to their wives, their wives will become more loving and will offer respect to them. If wives will offer unconditional respect to their husbands, their husbands will begin to start living up to this respect and will start loving them more. It's a vicious cycle. She doesn't respect me, so why should I show love to her? Or he doesn't show me uh, show love to me, so why should I respect him? In troubled marriages, this vicious cycle continually goes around and around and around. But what if we implemented a positive cycle? What if she said, I will offer him unconditional respect? Before long, she notices love is coming back to her from him. Or he says, I will offer her unconditional love. Before long, he notices respect is coming back to him from her. Let me ask you this. Which cycle do you want repeated and repeating itself in your marriage? Which cycle do you want repeated? Again, thank you for coming, but hopefully you don't just come and sit there and listen and absorb. Hopefully you'll put some of this into practice. And if you put some of this into practice, you will see some results. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is not only a roadmap to get us to heaven, but also your word uh, gives us practical, practical instructions how to uh, have a better life uh, while we're here. 
God, I just pray, Lord, that uh, any troubled marriages that are that may be uh, represented in this room, I pray, Lord, through through some of the uh, principles of your word and some of the teaching that is put into practice, those troubled marriages, Lord, will begin to turn around and begin to go in the right direction. I pray for those that, that, that already have a good marriage, but I pray that as they as they kind of tune their marriage up through, through remembering some things and making application of some things they receive, their good marriage will, will get better. And Lord, even, even great marriages even can even become greater as some things that we have taken for granted, some things that we knew but we, we, we failed to do on an ongoing basis, but, but now we, we, we're, we're, we're concentrating on those things and, and doing more, more of those things that even a, greater, a great marriage even becomes greater. Just give us a desire, Father, to, to uh, please you in every area, including our marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.